welcome. This is To Be Continued, the Coming Out Saga podcast, and I am Amber Birch. At the moment, I use she, her pronouns, though that could change at any time, and I want to normalize that for myself and anyone else. I came out as pansexual at the age of 40 after an eight-year marriage. This podcast is my attempt to sift through the many layers that are part of the after of coming out, and I want to invite you into this conversation and make space for your stories as well. So, really happy you're here. Before we dive in, I'd like to offer this disclaimer of sensitive content that may be discussed at any point during any episode. To include such topics as toxic religion, specifically in my experience within Christianity, trauma, sex, sexuality, gender identity, relationship styles such as monogamy and various forms of non-monogamy, privilege, And last but not least, language. I don't edit my language. I am, however, in the process of unlearning language that is exclusive and heteronormative when it comes to the topics of gender and sexuality, so you will hear me grappling at times to navigate this in the moment. I won't always get it right, but I am committed to continually growing and improving, and I welcome kind feedback on how I could do better. As I always do, I'll strive to approach this content with integrity, honesty, compassion, and non-judgment. I'm really not here to provide answers. Tell anyone else what to think or how to be, period. I'm not here to change anyone's mind or push an agenda. Just to have conversation and exchange stories. I will, however, be sharing from my own experiences some hard truths I've arrived at or discarded for myself that may not align with yours. And I trust you'll know, in your intuitive wisdom, when to step away, or when to stay, perhaps in some discomfort, perhaps not, and sift through what aligns with you, and what doesn't, with gentleness towards yourself, and hopefully with open-hearted curiosity. Hello, my friends. Welcome, welcome back. Whether you've listened to the first two episodes or you're just hopping in now, I'm glad you're here. And if you haven't already and you would like to uh, subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on Spotify and I would really appreciate it. The more subscribers I get, the more my likelihood of getting some sponsors if I continue doing this increases. So, um, any help is greatly appreciated. Um, just to paint a picture of where I'm at right now, I decided not to record this episode in my bedroom. And I, for those of you who don't know, I live on a farm. It is a community farm with, uh, other people is what that means. And it's chaotic and lovely. And we are nestled at basically the foot of one of the green mountains here in Vermont. The fort, there's a forest in my backyard. And right now I am sitting in this open shed on a hay bale. Very fitting. And I'm just staring out at a field and it's golden hour and I just wish that you could see it because it is dreamy. So hopefully you will hear some birds perhaps some breeze. I'm not quite sure, but you will probably hear the rustle of hay as I shift around. Uh, This week, I had said that I'm going to talk about just this idea of unconditioning, looking at ways that, for instance, heteronormative conditioning or even patriarchal conditioning has contributed to Perhaps my later discovery of my queerness, and for any of us, no matter what age we are, when we we start this discovery process, there is going to be some unconditioning to do because 
we live in a culture where it is heteronormative and what that means is that it like heterosexuality is is the default it's how we're conditioned to believe that you know all of us operate and it's just not the truth so what (laughs) kind of is driving this home for me before I like launch into the bigger stuff was two little exchanges or like something I overheard this week that aren't so much to do with like queerness and unconditioning but more so just I mean they kind of are they kind of are in a broader sense which I will get to but they remind me of ways that I I hadn't realized I had been conditioned and things that I would like to undo so I one of the owners of this farm where I where I work had confessed to me this week that she had been worried before I, I showed up here uh, that I would be, in her words, weird. <laughs> and we had talked briefly on the phone at this very informal interview, and it was all it all happened very quickly. I was in crisis and needed a place to go, and I had a friend here that already that was making the connection and so what all that she knew was that I was vegan I was coming from this crazy crisis situation and I had marsupials like two marsupials sugar gliders but they refer to them as marsupials because they are and it's just kind of a hilarious bit and she had never she just couldn't conceive of what what is it going to be like to bring these two little marsupials into the house and apparently had some idea of of that making me rather strange so when she told me this she she almost said it with like this relief like oh, I'm so glad you're not weird and I just had to like stifle a laugh because oh <laughs> if she only knew how weird I am but then I also thought to myself wow, because I I am a weirdo, but I have apparently learned how to hide it or tone it down depending on who I'm around. I've just gotten so good from childhood on at observing my environment and adapting. And I I certainly got better at that as I got older. I don't think I tried to do that as much as a child. But, you know, we get older and we, we learn what is kind of acceptable and what's not. And I was very studious at trying to be acceptable for a very long time. And so, but I, I remember being quite strange as a child. And I I know that that strange child is is still very much alive inside of me so it it made me pause and the other thing was I was listening to a podcast that I've recently discovered and come to really appreciate called Query where Cameron Esposito uh, is having just conversations with various queer folks in like the public eye and in this particular episode Cameron is telling this other person of their sister, their little sister, and how their little sister used to dress up apparently as a Dalmatian for a lot of childhood. And Cameron said, not surprisingly, their sister ended up in in theater (laughs) because where else does somebody end up who dresses up like a Dalmatian as a child just for fun on a regular basis? And I was out in the field harvesting potatoes and I literally laughed out loud because (laughs) that was me as a child. I dressed as a Dalmatian. I also just dressed as this other kind of dog that was like a favorite character in my this book series that I loved and I was quite serious about being a dog and I made my own costume And I was in theater as a child, just doing small stuff, but I was always doing drama. Even if it was just in my bedroom, I would listen to records and I would 
of musicals and I would perform them in my bedroom and I would put on performances in the windows and <laughs> I just was always acting and I've often wondered what what happened why did I veer off of that path I I don't regret it because I'm on the path that I'm on and I don't think that I particularly would love a theater life or to be an actress or actor but I I there was something about it that felt that made me feel so alive and I just have lost touch of that a long time ago so those were my all that to say I was I was a weirdo and I apparently just learned how to be less of a weirdo on the outside. And I don't, I don't want to be like that anymore. So, on that note, let's dive in with a question. Alright, I really love this question. I love questions like this in general, and there's so many layers to this question, so really I feel like this question is threaded throughout this episode as something to ponder in this conversation about unconditioning, which, really quick on a side note, I had planned on really talking about heteronormativity and what that means to me to step outside that. But really, if I'm honest, I don't think I'm quite ready to have an in-depth conversation about that. I, not on my own, I would love to sit here and chat with somebody about what heteronormativity has looked like, what it's felt like, what it means to get some distance from it ways that I'm not even aware of it yet because it's also new I feel like it's just too much to bite off at this stage of my process because um once you've lived in one world all your life and just found out that there's this whole other world and that the world that you were living in was actually imposed upon you it's gonna take some fucking time to recognize the extent of what that other world has been and the way that it shaped you. I mean, I know I need more distance from it, more time sitting with that and, and breathing different air before I can even un- begin to understand the depth and breadth of how it has shaped me. So I will certainly reference it. I just don't know how much I'm going to be able to get into it yet, but it is there and it's huge. So let's just like establish that. So the question that I received was, what does the changing feel like? Do you feel like a whole different person or does it feel more like a puzzle piece has dropped into place? Like, what does that feel like? And it made me think. I remember, I say I remember, of course I remember, it was only two months ago. But I remember two months ago, thank Jupiter. <laughs> so, uh, but the day that I came out publicly, like on Instagram, I posted this picture, you know, of myself. And I shared something. And I remember my, my best friends said that day when she saw the picture of me. You know, and this is someone I talk to pretty much every day. We talk in depth. And we we really know each other pretty well. And she said, when she saw the picture of me, she was kind of stunned. Because she's like, I suddenly saw more of you. It's like you were there more clearly. And I thought that was really profound and affirming but also mysterious because I, I didn't know that I that I saw that yet 
but as I've walked this, the changing has felt different at every point. It's, it's like I, it does feel like I've pulled back this veil and there is more of myself to see, parts of myself that I'm meeting for the first time that have just been hidden or that I'm seeing through a different lens. So there's this veil simply by growing up within the culture, you know, the mainstream culture that I'm a part of, but also growing up within the subcultures of family and religious culture, which I grew up very conservative evangelical Christian. My family was in ministry, which means my dad was a pastor of various churches. I was deep in this culture. And of course, within this culture, largely, I know it's shifting in some ways and and it needs to, so good. But it's still largely like heteronormativity is assumed and it is morally, that is the only option. So there, so there was that veil, but it, it also, it feels like I, you know, we use this metaphor of a butterfly and a cocoon, right? A lot to talk about transformation and for good reason. And just because I'm a nerd and I just learned this this summer, really, because I have spent a lot of time with caterpillars and monarchs, I, I learned that it's not actually a cocoon. It's, it's a chrysalis. So there's a little nerdy fact. Uh, moths are the ones that have cocoons and butterflies have chrysalises. So when uh, I, I felt like this butterfly that has emerged from this chrysalis, which I have gotten the very intimate experience now of watching this happen. I've watched it happen once. I have watched uh, several ca- monarch caterpillars go into a chrysalis. So they, the, the process of attaching themselves to a leaf generally, um, but they can attach themselves to really anything. And we have found them attached to many things, but let's just say they attach themselves to a leaf and it's, they're attached by this like silk thread that comes from their body. And then as it over hours, their body starts to, to begin the process of, of transformation. And they're literally like, it looks like they're dead. And then they'll raise up at certain points and their body will just kind of be contorting. And then they'll go still completely still. And, and then they start to really, uh, convulse kind of, uh, when they're actively getting into this cocoon which is a chrysalis, excuse me, but when the chrysalis is forming, it's, they're actually pushing it out of their body. They are sloughing off their caterpillar body and forming this chrysalis around them so that when you see this chrysalis, you are not seeing, I mean, they're green. They're the, this beautiful jade green. They're stunning. If you haven't seen a monarch chrysalis, And it looks like the chrysalis itself is green, but the chrysalis is transparent. And the the, the caterpillar that is now a pupa inside this chrysalis is is actually this beautiful color. And so anyways, it's it looks like this torturous process to 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 form this chrysalis. I have no idea what the experience is for the caterpillar. I can only hope that it's not as painful as it looks, but. And then they're in this chrysalis and they're forming into a monarch over, you know, the course of, of maybe a week or two weeks. And, and then when they emerge there, the butterfly is just like breaking open this transparent case and coming out. So that definitely has resonated with me, but what has also resonated with me is that I, I feel like I came out of this chrysalis when I, when I really came out for the first time. And then I realized 
I'm not done forming. (sighs) There's, I mean, none of us are ever done forming, but I came out to some pretty huge questions myself that I wasn't anticipating. And now I feel like I've gone back inside. Now I can't literally go back inside an old chrysalis. So it's like you're shedding more of yourself to form this new one. And you're going back in to this process of darkness and uh, introspection and questioning and stillness and then fighting your way out when it's time to emerge and coming out does feel like a fighting in a way and I don't want to put violent language to it but it's like it's a struggle in the sense of Everything that you have to shed in order to step into an identity that is not recognized unless you declare it, it's assumed and you have to declare something different and it feels like this fighting process to come out of everything that has been imposed upon you and to, to really like open your wings and, and fly for yourself and it's, you know, it's not an easy process. So what, it, it's been, it's felt like this progressive, unexpectedly affirming process of things about myself in my life. I, I never knew needed affirming. But it's also been really disorienting and lonely because being in that chrysalis and coming out is a lonely, solitary thing. And it's unnerving. So it's all of these things. take some time to unpack this definition really of queer and queerness and I want to recognize too that within the the community in particular because that's where it really matters uh, everybody's going to have different feelings about using queer or identifying as queer And it's not going to be a term that everybody feels comfortable with or feels like suits them. So that is absolutely okay. And I don't expect this this word to mean the same thing to everybody. But this is how I, I want to talk about a few definitions I've heard that resonate with me, but also coming to define it for myself because I think ultimately we just need to define it for ourselves because the definition of queer very very much on a personal level relates to this process of unconditioning so the simplest definition that I've heard is just an other being other other than whatever the norm is is queer. And on a very broad level, I, I like that. Uh, it's, it's not just talking about sexual orientation. It's not just talking about gender identity. It's, it's this whole experience of otherness. Getting more specific, I, one of the people in my life that came across my path this last year really gave me this in-person experience of someone who identifies as genderqueer, trans, really defined their queerness and gender queerness as, as this radical way of being in the world. And I thought that was that was the first time I'd really ever heard that. And I, I thought it was so captivating. It's, it's a disruption of the status quo. 
And I saw, I saw a post on Instagram today with a definition that is probably the most resonant to me that I have seen so far. This person, it was a repost, and I, I think that the credit might go to someone whose account is called decolonial, decolonially queer. That's a very hard word to say. But what they had written is queer is deeply personal and public. It's intensely individual and communal. It's a verb and a noun. It's the sexual and the platonic. It's identity and it's disidentification. Queer is a rejection of the subjection of binaries. And I was like, hell yes. <laughs> this resonated to my core reading this. Because that is how I have been coming in this very beginning of my process to identify with queer. Because it was very hard for me initially to see myself as a queer person, which I talked about a little bit in my in the last episode. So I thought, you know, imposter syndrome crops up as it will and does for a lot of us. And I, to me, I was like thinking of it pretty strictly in terms of sexual orientation and how I look, how I present. I more or less, more so before recently presented as a straight cis woman, which I am a cis cis woman, but as a straight woman. And I also had, you know, never really questioned my sexual orientation. I'd never felt angst over it. I'd never felt like there was something that just didn't fit within what I was expected in terms of that. So I thought it was hard for me to claim queer for a bit there as a label or just as as part of my identity. But as I have come out (laughs) and through therapy and just a lot of asking myself questions, sitting with questions, having conversations, writing, reading, listening, I, I have started to look back through this other lens, this lens of otherness, this lens of uh, having been subjected to the binaries and just having been a misfit, having felt like a misfit really all my life for various reasons, not for necessarily reasons to do with my sexual orientation, though I certainly felt like a misfit with my sexuality because I was brought up within this evangelical purity culture, which if you don't know what that is, you basically are promising as a child not to have sex until you're married because you're supposed to be a virgin and it should have, sex only belongs to, you know, your husband or your spouse or you know, husband or wife. Um, and so, uh, I, I came to have sexual experiences at a much later age than a lot of people, (laughs) um, which was much later for me, which I, I don't know that I will, I'll probably get into that in an episode where we eventually talk more about sex, which I'm not there yet, but we will get there. Um, But I certainly felt like a misfit uh, among my peers and as I got older among women and even in romantic partnerships and the ways that I, the roles that I played in those partnerships, what my needs were in those partnerships just didn't seem to fit what was expected of my gender and certainly in the way that I have chosen to live my life, how my life has unfolded, the paths that I have prioritized and that I have taken have felt 
queer to me. And, and not in some super special way. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the many people that have, you know, chosen to go to college, establish a, a certain career, get married, buy the house, have the kids. Like, that's all well and good when somebody really wants that. But I never wanted that. I, I wanted to get married, but I... I didn't want all of the other things. And I, I just envisioned my life being a bit more wild and radical in some quiet ways and in some just other than ways. So as I have looked at queerness that way, I have seen this pattern throughout my life of, oh my God, I... I am queer. <laughs> I am. I am queer through and through. And that has been really affirming. So I I think, again, I just think that that's really important. Because when I, since I've come out, I feel like I've had to defend already my queerness to people. People in het culture, people in queer culture largely people in queer culture and I will get to that I'm sure in maybe the next episode as we talk about like labels and maybe more so queer community uh but defending queerness is definitely a thing and not being subject to other people defining it for you so I think it's really important to have that understanding of that for yourself for myself <clears throat> excuse me so, what kind of, what this changing has felt like to me too has also been this visceral response to some outward things about myself. And so, the best story that I can tell for that is a story of recently having my hair cut. When I came out, so on this topic of feeling like not quite comfortable being being associated with the label queer just because of how I felt like I looked and what my story was, I, I came out and was like, nobody's even going to know. I just don't look queer. I don't know what queer is supposed to look like. And of course, God, I know there is no look to queer. It's queer is whoever you are who identifies as queer, okay? There are certain markers, like identification markers that people could throw out there that could be taken as queer, but but there isn't some universal look of queer, okay? Um, but I was just very aware that I, n nothing had changed on the outside. I just looked like the same amber, but suddenly I was, I was claiming this, this queerness and it, it felt strange. So I, I resisted for a bit, uh, making any changes because I didn't want, I didn't want to make a change in order to make myself seem like I needed to validate myself through a physical change. But it had been on my mind for a while that I wanted to cut my hair anyways because I have often had short hair in my life and I've loved short hair. And for the last like five years, my hair was long. And I finally felt tired of all of this hair. Like I just wanted it off my body. I didn't want to worry about it anymore. I just wanted it gone. And, and some part of me also wanted to test out, as a queer person now, what will it feel like to have short hair? Will it feel any different? And how attached am I to this long hair being associated with 
a more feminine identity. I kind of, I was aware that there was something there that I wanted to test. So I, I couldn't necessarily put it into this very clear statement. I, I just knew I wanted to test myself. So I, I had my hair chopped off not long after I, I got the news back from my mom that she wasn't down with my identity and, and that was saying goodbye to her, essentially. And I was like, now's the time. Let's cut my hair. So chopped it off. I'm really excited about it because, again, I'm not a stranger to short hair. I've had short hair so many times and thought, this is really feminine. I am rocking this. But when I was with men, a lot of times the men did not like the short hair. So my, my ex-husband was one of those men. He was very vocal about when my hair was short, telling me he just didn't think it looked feminine. And I got really upset with him because nobody gets to, to def- tell a, a woman <laughs> of any kind what feminine is or is not. No man gets to do that. So it, I, was, I was pissed, but I also think that it, it lodged itself in me. And as much as I pushed back on it, it was like, yeah, I guess it's not as feminine. So when I looked at myself in the mirror after I got this haircut, you know, at first I was like, oh, okay, okay, there I am. Yeah, I recognize, I, I recognize her. This is, this is good. It's different, but it's good. But, but when nobody was around me and I was just me coming out of the shower and I'm looking at myself in the mirror, I was freaked out. I saw myself and I was like, dude, you look like a boy. (laughs) I... My voice was not very nice. My, my inner voice to myself was, was not nice. It was like, you are not pretty anymore. And, you know, of course, I had my days where I felt pretty and my days where I didn't. But overall, I would, I would have thought, like, you know, I could more or less say, yeah, I guess I'm pretty. Like, if I'm not everybody's type. I'm not everybody's pretty. I'm kind of a, a, a sort of a a natural, plain sort of pretty, but, you know, I guess some people could consider me pretty. But when I saw myself with the short hair, I was like, you are not pretty. This is not pretty. And I felt so sick, and I felt like, what the fuck did I do? I can't undo this. And I thankfully have done so much work with with regards to like critical voices that we have for ourselves and, and loving ourselves that uh, I was able to kind of at least just look at that voice and say, wow, wow, that's a really judgmental voice. Okay. I can't do anything to really change that voice in this moment. I'm just going to acknowledge that it's there. And wow, it's not very nice. So I'm going to get curious about that. Why is that voice being so mean? Where is this coming from? So I I did my best over the next few days to kind of just not judge or try to push myself to be like, oh, but you're beautiful, which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I just felt like that wasn't what I needed to do. I needed to like really understand where this was coming from. And it kind of came to me a couple days later, maybe it was a week later, when I was looking at myself again. It lo- I looked different every day to myself, but this time it was very clear. I-, I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, if I didn't know me, and I just saw myself out and about. What, who would I see? What, 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 what would I describe 
as the person that I'm seeing physically. And the first word that came to mind was androgynous. And I was like, huh. That has never been a word that I have associated with myself. And something about it felt really unnerving, but also familiar. And like I was getting closer to this, this place of, of truth. And so I, I just kind of started playing around with that androgynous. Not that I have to be androgynous, but like, let's say that I did feel more androgynous. What, what would that look like? What would that feel like? What part of me would not be okay with that and why? But what I really started asking myself from the beginning was, what, what do I actually believe femininity is? What is mine, inherently mine, to claim as feminine? And what has just been compulsory? Something that somebody else has written over me and said, this is what feminine is. What, when it comes to gender, what, I mean, all of gender, like I've, I've heard this now for a while, gender is a construct, gender is a construct, and it is, it's absolutely a construct, but even what about femininity has been a construct to me. And, and then on the flip side, what is masculinity to me? And so I, I kind of gave myself this homework and through therapy, you know, we, we kind of, my therapist at the time suggested, what if you were to draw a circle and write down everything that you associated with femininity? And then move everything outside of the circle that wasn't yours. What do you think would still be there? I thought, okay, easy enough, right? (laughs) I sat with this homework. I put it off. I put it off. I sat with it because nothing was coming to mind. Like I was drawing a big fat blank And I was really intrigued by this and also really frustrated and freaked out by it because I was like, how the hell did I get to be 40 years old and not have a clue what femininity means to me? So I finally, I I have this this drawing, (laughs) this sketch with two circles. Okay, I've got the femininity circle, I've got the masculinity circle, and then I've got the circle kind of in the middle where they overlap and I call that kind of my non-binary circle and I I I was writing all kinds of things on the outside of this circle as the things that society has told me are feminine and society has told me are masculine I had nothing to put on the inside of those circles for a while. And then I slowly started to add some things started to come to me. But everything that was on the outside was very toxic. <laughs> very stereotypical. And on both sides, on the femininity side, on the masculinity side, it's very superficial and very very stereotypical, very toxic. And the only things in the beginning that I had written down anywhere were in the non-binary circle. And I was like, that's real interesting. <laughs> so I, I'm wondering about that. So eventually I, I have some things that I write down for masculine and feminine that really have nothing to do, you know, again, with, with gender, but just like what those concepts and like how I express them in my being means to me and what I came away with from that exercise was that 
this awareness, very clear. I am not very attached to gender, <laughs> to femininity, let's say, okay, because I know gender is different from masculinity and femininity, but in my mind, I've associated my gender with femininity a lot, and so those two really go hand in hand pretty closely for me. So I have not really been that attached to femininity and what it means to be a woman. And I realized like it's like it's it's like this plant that I thought the roots went down really deep and if I was trying to yank up this plant it would be really hard to pull it out. When in actuality I just like tugged on it and it just popped out like dried. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, wow, <laughs> what a discovery to make at 40 years old <laughs> from a haircut. <laughs> so I, it's been very, very interesting, so interesting to begin to explore something that I would have, I don't know that I would have really asked myself these questions that it that it really would have occurred to me that it was important for me to ask myself these questions if I hadn't first come out in my sexual orientation I'm not sure I would have asked these questions regarding my gender and and what that means to me and so I'm really grateful even though it's been like dumping everything upside down <laughs> like that I thought that I was standing on, right? And so I it's launched me into this journey of really exploring what it means to me to live more fluidly. Feeling I feel this untetheredness that is wild about gender right now and my identity and free. And I also feel more like a misfit than I ever have in ways that have brought up all these old insecurities I haven't had since adolescence of what it means to belong or not and how other people see me. So it's definitely a challenge not to define myself through others' eyes or through these you know, external standards of, of gender and um, to enter this new culture and not in, just go from one culture where I had to fit into these boxes that I finally realized I don't fit into and I like broke out of that and just stepping into another culture where there's just new boxes and I'm like, I don't want to break myself into pieces within this new culture that I expected to be so expansive um, just to feel like I fit here. But as somebody that is coming to see myself as less attached to a gender identity, it feels a lot harder, a lot more elusive to know what fitting looks like because even within queer culture, there are so many designations of, of types and I, I feel more than ever I'm not a type and it's been very stark and uh, disillusioning a bit but also such a growing experience of challenging these things and sitting with the discomfort and trying to listen to what what is true for me and and in the process of all that what is conditioning and what is mine because ultimately all of these questions whether you know it's in my life or it's in your life to me it, it's ultimately about deciding what is yours what is yours to claim? What is true? I mean, it can leave everything else. But but what is yours? And what is mine? And 
what a journey that is. I don't think that there is a destination to that. I don't think that I'm just going to arrive one day and say, well, now I've got myself all figured out because I think that that is a huge part of this queer journey is not being figured out. It's this, it is like going back to the definition. It is both identification and disidentification. It is not being able to just pinpoint something and, and staying in this fixed static state of this is my identity. It is, it is for me being in a place of, of this expansive fluidity and learning to live in that and let others live in that, celebrate living in that and, and never thinking that it can just stay the same. So those are my thoughts on my haircut and gender. Well, that concludes our third episode. Thank you again for being here, for just being a space to hear my story and to step into a space that I'm holding for you, whether I can see you or not. Can holding your story with reverence and with gratitude that you are here wherever you are at in your journey. Uh, Heads up for next week. I'm really stoked because I will be having my first guest on this podcast. She is a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, and we're going to have a really good conversation about labels, all about labeling in the queer community and God, do I have a lot to say about that? I know she has a lot to say about that. I'm really excited for that conversation and just to to share for for my friend to to share her voice to I will introduce her and have her introduce herself next week, but just stay tuned. I hope that you go through this weekend and or the week wherever you're at in time when you're listening to this with peace and I will be here next week.